Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Cy Wakeman, drama researcher, New York Times bestselling author, and leadership consultant. She's the founder of Reality-Based Leadership. Have you heard of it? She's been a keynote speaker multiple times at Women Lead Change events and always leaves her mark in the best of ways. Have you ever listened to a speaker and said, hey, that's the voice inside my head. I just couldn't find the words. Well, our friend Cy found them for us. Our conversation today covers a lot of territory and most notably, the five things she says that leaders need to be doing today, current and post-COVID. She joins us now from her home in Nebraska. Welcome, Cy Wakeman, to the Own It podcast. Thank you, Tiffany. Thrilled to be here. You have one of the more interesting COVID (laughs) escape stories. Welcome back stateside. I just got back to the United States after over three months in Mexico, but not suffering folks. Beautiful place. Um, but uh, it was there three months and one week alone. So Cy Wakeman has just come off of 13 weeks of solitary confinement. Wow. And yeah, it might surprise people, people who've seen you on stage, you know, yeah. might surprise people that that's something that you would enjoy. They all think I'm an extrovert and actually I'm an introvert and which doesn't mean I'm shy or it means I get energy by being away from people. And I found a lot of things to be true, but one of the things is that um, it just kept coming to me, this is why we practice, meaning the time alone, it really tested my relationship with solitude, my relationship with stillness, uh, my relationship with uncertainty. And I think the pandemic revealed for a lot of us the state of our relationships with kind of the waning side of a cycle, because we have been so good at having impact and staying busy and packing schedules and getting crap done and um, being totally accountable and over-functioning. Like we had over-rotated, I think all of us, I'll speak for myself. And so we were all about, you know, the winning and we don't really celebrate the losing. We're all about the action and we don't really celebrate the stillness. And I think for a lot of people that struggled with being being um, asked to shelter in place, the struggle was there because they hadn't cultivated a relationship to stillness and they hadn't been alone with their own minds and thinking forever. I went down there for five days and had just a few outfits with me. We recently purchased what will become my retirement home there. And it was kind of the week where everything fell apart. And so travel to the States became difficult. I had some immune system issues I was worried about. I thought, I'll just stay in place. Then we watched four months of our business cancel. Um, So I thought, well, I don't have anything to get back for. Then we watched, of course, the stock market go down. Lots of other personal things that uh, are private, but falling apart. I had just buried my 15-year-old nephew who was killed in a car accident. Like I went down there. I thought I can just get four or five days to restore and retreat and replenish and regroup. And little did I know the universe is like four days ain't enough. We'll give you three months. So, you know, you kind of wonder if someone would have told us six months ago, especially someone like you who, how often are you on the road? I mean, you traveled. I was like four to five days a week. Okay. If somebody would have said, Sai, you have to take three months off. Yeah. I would be like, and you are delusional and crazy, but you know what? Our ego, I think, or my ego keeps me in fear of downtime because it is where I get in touch with what's real for me, what's true for me, 
all the things I've numbed in my relationships or in my life, all the things, like I found I was able to kind of tolerate a pretty violent schedule at the cost of me. So, the, so many times when I, you know, take time out, I know this stuff. When I take time out, I get clear and in touch with what feels, as Martha Beck says, shackles on or shackles off. Like what feels life building or life depleting. And my ego is keenly interested in me not getting that information. It can be uncomfortable. I mean, who wants that? When I first um, found out I would be there at least for a month or two, I called a really dear friend and she's just one of those, she walks through the world just so spiritually. And she said, oh, she said, it sounds like your assignment today for reflection is to choose whether you're going to go through this world health crisis as a prisoner or a monk. So are you going to use this time to go spiritually deep and to create and know what's true and learn and then develop? Or are you going to go through this as the mindset of a prisoner where you are just approaching it from how limited you are? Wow. I thought did it was you, so interesting. Did you know right away which one you were going to choose? Totally. Totally. In fact, what was kind of a sign for me is I was going to travel back and everything got hung up in Houston and people were there for like five hours in these small little rooms. I didn't want to expose myself. The virus had just become known stateside. It had been here for a while. And then I said, well, I'm going to stay an extra week. And then that week my team called me and they said, you know, we're getting all these cancellations and I might definitely honor, we can do whatever we need to virtually. Been doing virtual for 10 years, honor that. Um, the stock market crashed. I had, you know, some other things. It was just like every time I picked up the phone and by about day three, by all appearances, my business was shutting down. My travel back wasn't anytime soon. And I realized that basically everything had just fallen apart. And my response was almost pure giddiness, which I took note of. Because it's like, Sai, you may not be on the road again for months, and I just felt joyful. They're like, Sai, you know, you don't have any more responsibility in this area. And it was just like, and, and my last Sunday moved out in September. I had no reason to be home. And I didn't feel anxious or scared. I felt free. I felt giddy. And one of my key feelings I love is the ability to be free from, you know, responsibility. And, and I thought, you know, I may be completely broke, who knows? I may never work again, who knows? And that sounds like the most lovely thing ever. That tells you everything you need to know. That tells me everything I need to know. Get busy curating your next life. And I was already working on that, but um, I really took the invitation to start curating my best life. And so many times I realized the pandemic's revealed so much to all of us, along with the, the race discussions that have been amplified and activated by recent events. And it really showed me where a lot of my choices are based on what other people need and not based on what does I want to do. I was FaceTiming with one of my kids and they said, well, how did you decide to marry our father? Gosh, 30 years ago, I don't even know how long ago. And I said, you know, that's interesting kids because it's a big lesson for me. As I reflected, I married their dad, who was a great guy, because he asked me, because he chose me. And it never dawned on me that I was the one that should do the choosing in my life. But I was such an overfunctioner, and I'm just so like honored. And, and at the time, my self-esteem seemed a little low, but I was just like, you know, gosh, he chose me. Of course, I will say yes. I didn't even ask me. 
And then they said, well, why did you marry um, Rich, my um, current husband? I said, dang it, because wow. he chose me. Yeah. I worked so hard to get chosen because I just wanted that traditional family. And, and, and also a lovely guy, thank God I lucked out. But those are some of the things that started revealing to me during the pandemic is that I had that time of stillness is how much of my life is because the client chose me instead of me choosing the client or the client wanted this on Friday. And in the name of the customer of customer service, I'm like, I'll take the red eye and get there because I really want to help. I'm a helper instead of me really looking at, but what does I choose? And I found out that I can be the hero, the overfunctioner, the responsible one when people choose for me. It's a weird form of victimhood. If I choose, then I have to accept the consequences of maybe I didn't get that contract because I couldn't be there on Friday. It's interesting because yeah. I thought it was a way of helping others, but what was revealed to me, it was also a way of me delegating to others what my life would look like, but I got the relief of not having a lot of accountability. So interesting. Isn't That's what'll happen in three months in Mexico. Oh, huh? Lord. I got to know what it looks like now. Now that you're back, you oh. know what? How, what? What is different? Are you fundamentally? Yeah, different? so exciting. And in fact, what was funny is giddy, where people are like, "We're gonna have to deliver everything virtually," and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, thank God!" I've been trying to get my clients to love virtual training forever, and they have all this folklore. They're like, nobody can stay engaged virtually. And I'm like, why do we coddle people? Yes, if you're in the front row and you have all the bells and whistles, you can't help but be entertained. If you're a lazy learner, if we're virtual, that means you actually have to interact and you have to get into the chat box. And you've got to, when I ask a question, like come in. So one of the ways we've really, the new word pivot is I can't say that we got virtual because we've been virtual for like 10 years, but we upped the ante so that when we come to you virtual with training and other things, you know, it's double cameras, it's pretty fancy stuff, still organic and natural and not produced, but we've got overhead cameras, like we've got um, e-cam, we can do all kinds of things that's happening. It's like, so we upped that so that we can still meet people's training needs and keynote. We can do a fantastic keynote where I'm on a set, stand up, talking, customized. So that we took the business that direction. We're doing some online courses. But probably the most exciting thing that I'm coming back to is a much simpler life. I've really curated down my schedule. And I am focusing more on how to help people individually and not separating out whether they're a leader or a human. And so weirdly enough, in this whole pandemic, I got a phone call and I got another book contract. They're like, so wow. people <gasps> really want to know like how you practice this stuff in your personal life. And we we're doing Facebook live and my publisher loved it. And I started writing a new book. It'll be out next year. It's called Life's Messy, Live Happy. And it's something I had worked on, but they really escalated it by saying, here's a contract, get the book done. I'm using my time of reflection to go back and help people understand my take on more personal things like relationships and parenting and losing your parents and grief and forgiveness. And so I'm working on that and we're coming out with kind of an inner circle where people can get access to me on a regular basis in the course of some really intimate Zoom calls and stuff so that we can help some people go deep. So. Nice. A couple of events that I've been um, to where we've been lucky enough to have you on the WLC stage 
when you do take questions, they do get personal. I always find that so interesting because I have to say it's not the, that's not the case with all of our speakers because you're very tactical. I mean, you provide very tactical information and ways for us to be better at work and better leaders. You share a lot of your life I'm in glad. some of those great yeah. anecdotes. It's notable how many personal questions that you get asked. I want to be approachable and I want people to know that um, I can't teach this stuff because I've mastered it. I'm right beside you in the human condition, screwing this up daily. We're never going to be able to ace the test. We need to retreat and go within and cultivate wisdom. That's internal work, wisdom work. We need to go out with big love. But where that wisdom and love tries to meet the world is super messy mm -hmm. and not at all able to do it perfectly. And that's where we've got to just really be vulnerable, as Brene talks a lot about. We've got to move away from shame. We just got to be willing to just drop the mask and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have people really reveal a lot to me and that's sacred work for me. And I actually think it's my most gifted work when I take Q&A and I can work with people on a personal basis. It takes me back to my days as a counselor. Yeah. Do you remember in Sioux City, we had one of our students just um, do such wonderful work in the questions that she was asking. And yes, very that personal. still stays with me, very personal. Oh my gosh. It was almost as though the room wasn't there and you could hear a pin drop too. Um, but it's such, again, that's such a credit. That's such a credit to you too in, in your accessibility and willingness to go deep in that very public moment. I teach universal principles, which are kind of true for everybody. And then people want to take that into their individualized stories where it seems like different from everybody. But as you really get vulnerable and you go down to it, there are no new stories. So as I'm working with one person, other people listening in, they're working their own issues of whether they felt betrayed or they felt abandoned. Or, and at the bottom of it, we all get back to that unity where we're all one. We all have the same human condition. And so... The way to help take big universal principles that apply to everybody and get people in touch where we're all really the same is through the, that personalization of the stories. And that's why with what's going on in today's nation where we've had race issues forever, so many people have only personalized it to themselves. And if they weren't inconvenienced by a system, like no worries, but we haven't made enough room to just shut up and listen to how, what it's been like personally for others. It's horrific. And I'm sorry for all the pain that's coming out that people have experienced, but I am loving it. I'm loving that we're raising awareness and waking yeah. people up. And putting a face, putting faces on the issue too. I noticed you have, you, you're taking part in the kind of given up your platform for a little bit to share, I did. I did. to share what, what's that been like? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I really believed in equity and equality, like the theory, the intellectual part of that is pretty easy to believe in. And I, you know, try and work my own issues and my unconscious bias. And so as this whole thing hit, I'm like, Hell yeah. I saw something on Instagram where they said, let's all join this movement where those of us that identify as white, they have large platforms. Let's take our platforms quiet so that the algorithm like on Instagram can really pick up and we can exacerbate these other voices. 
And so I went, absolutely. It's a no brainer. So I do what I think is the right thing. Remember that because it's not about me. And I basically go dark and I get kind of uh, crucified. So people are like, um, thanks, but no thanks. And that's kind of crappy that all of you white influencers go dark and you leave all the heavy emotional teaching and list and lifting to us who are identify as brown and black. And that's kind of a crappy thing to do. You know, now we're in charge of educating the whole world. You guys went silent. You're, we're not, we don't have credibility with your audience. Don't go silent, get back on and go big. And it was in that moment that I really discovered when I'm trying to impact the world, to be impacted by the world, and it's going to be messy, and I'm not going to do this perfectly. And if I sit back and wait until I know, like, this is the perfect thing to say, or this is the most politically correct thing to say, or this will please everybody else, I'm back into people placing, and it's about me. I want to take action. I want to vote. I want to donate. I want to pass the microphone. I want to highlight other people's stuff. But when that came back on, I was willing to not take it personal. It's not about me and just say, wow, that is a good point. I was trying to do the right thing, but so many of us worry about our intentions and it's the effect folks. It's not your intentions. It impacts other people. And so then I quickly came back on and just have continued to be willing to fall into the model progress, not perfection. I will put something out there and then I will let the world shape and teach me so that I can know more about how I benefit from systems, how I participate, where my biases are. I think we need to stop asking, am I a racist? And, and ask, how am I a racist? And, and it's not personal. It's like, how have I been groomed by the system? How, mm -hmm. how have I been part of it? I, I don't feel to blame for it, but I feel very responsible to curate a different world going forward. You know, I'm kind of in that camp lately. I have to be honest. I don't, I don't know what to do because I've watched other people be criticized for not doing enough. And then other white women like me, zero credibility in that experience get skewered for saying too much. There's a part of me, I feel like I can't win for losing. You know, I know you and I have talked offline about this too, where it's, I, I wouldn't change it. I learned from it. We're doing something like yep. instead of worrying about, you know, this side and that side and conflicting responses, do it. And it's not about the approval or the love or the appreciation. If you're doing it to, uh, for those reasons, you're doing it with motive and that's ego stuff. And I'm not saying also just do it um, without forethought, like take action. And part of the taking action is to understand your own privilege and to educate yourself instead of relying on other people to educate you, figure out like the 10 dumb things that white women do and stop it. I don't see color. That's the problem. Um, this is really surprising. I didn't realize we had this going on in our nation. That doesn't soothe me. That just means that like you literally haven't seen or heard me for 50 years. Like figure out those top 10. And then I think if you're going out trying to provide the solution or the answer, um, you're out of place and you yeah. should be criticized. But the other stuff is like, I put something out there and somebody chimes in. I respond with good to know. Duly noted. Yeah. 
I'll take that under consideration. It's not an approval or disapproval of me, but um, one of the things I think we have to do to get to a humble place, a place of beginner's mind, is any piece of feedback we get, find how it is true, because our ego will get all chapped and find how it isn't true. Find how it is true. So I came out, um, Facebook Live, I thought, well, I will give my time freely. I'll do these hour-long Facebook Lives two to three times a week to help people as they move through leading in the pandemic. And so I tweeted out something about being in Mexico and how um, we're all in this together. And somebody tweeted back, um, actually, we're not all in this together, Sai. You're in Mexico, which is the ultimate privilege that you can just go vacation during a pandemic. Now, I wrote 18 replies because I was so like, <laughs> I am Cy Lightman. My heart is very big. I help everyone and I'm not here by, it was just all this justifying. And I sat down in stillness and I said, is it true? And you know what? It was super true because I am privileged. I have a second home in Mexico. Now, were there risks down there? Absolutely. If I did get sick, there's no ICU beds. 50% of the population doesn't have running water. I mean, I found some big things of dog food. I couldn't leave my property from the past owner. I was putting those out in little Ziplocs because people didn't have food for their dogs. I mean, it's, it was tough stuff, but I don't need to do that comparative suffering thing where it's like, I suffer too. It's like, you know what? I do have privilege and I may suffer but I don't suffer because of the color of my skin. That's a whole big thing that got taken off my plate. So I just wrote back, thank you, I can find that. And that is how I'm going through all of the feedback I'm getting right now is when people do give me, and maybe I don't even agree with it. I'm not letting everyone shape me, I'm me. But when people write in, instead of it being such a slim margin of error, if we're not careful what we'll do as women to each other, is we'll reinforce what I believe this structure of men have done to us for years. We have narrowed down our margin of error to like one inch. I almost have to have like 20 people holding up signs numerically rating me as I walk through because women have such a small margin of error. And now when it comes to the discussions that have been pent up, so nobody's doing them in a beautiful way, we need to make sure that we don't make the margin of error for ourselves or anybody else small. And so everything somebody has said to me so far is true. How do you anticipate your teaching, your lessons will be different or your approach to it post-COVID? So, in a weird way, it's like, I'm not grateful for COVID, but I can make sure that one, I'm grateful in every moment during COVID, which is very different. It's not to be dependent on whether I like the circumstance or not, but it can be with my own agency that I can radically accept the present moment and move through joyfully. One of the things I am grateful about is that reality-based leadership is a modern leadership philosophy that really has shared accountability. And it's really based on resilience and growing your people and calling them up to greatness and not enabling them you know, a lot of people talk about accountability as something I can hold you accountable. We talk about accountability as I'm going to stop enabling you. Some people found their teams not very resilient and they're like, Sai, how do I develop resiliency? So we've come out with new courses based on our research, but the best way to develop resiliency is to stop rescuing the people. In that moment of, you know, tension, it's like, 
can you send somebody out to hook my computer up to Zoom? Nope. You can hook your computer up to Zoom. Google it, figure it out. Millions of people have. So in that way, our work is more relevant than ever, but where it's changing is I have to emphasize what I thought was a given before, and that is start with love. Like I have to emphasize, people are like, so it's just tough love. It's like reality is tough. Leadership is love. And this isn't EQ. This isn't savviness. This isn't um, good communication skills. It's not the soft skills. It's the hard skills. Like I really am finding that people are over-rotating out of fear on the accountability piece. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to the love part. And in, in our organization, you know, we don't have a vision or mission statement. I find their ego statements of how we're going to impact the world. And by the time they're on the wall, the world's completely changed. So they're not even relevant. I think it's more co-creation in my business. I want to co-create. I want to impact the world, but I want to be impacted by the world so that it's very fluid. And so I just, I didn't like them, but we came up with two mantras that we really believe in hashtags love wins only always if you're in doubt of what to say just love if you're in doubt of like what's the better road forward figure out what the loving thing is not the enabling thing because sometimes love is hard stuff and then evolve yourself so if you're working on your own evolution that internal wisdom and you're moving through the world with skills and what you don't have in skills you have in love like you're going to be fine and so i'm having to emphasize because what's happening in stress is Brene Brown talks about this, but it's a social work thing. We have so many people over-functioning, but we have just as many people under-functioning in stress. Mm-hmm. And the over-functioners get really righteous and martyry and mean to the under-functioners instead of going out and saying, are you safe? Are you okay? You know, one of the things you just touched on, and you have to share that great poker playing story about your family because it relates to that. Love is hard. I feel like there is an opportunity for us as leaders, you know, understanding that as we come back to work, there are going to be various comfort levels, levels of anxiety that we may not have seen from individual contributors that we're going to see. And it's just a lot easier to feel badly and want to help. Yeah. Or fix. Or fix. Yeah. And There's a difference. As you said, accountability doesn't go away because you love somebody, but that's hard. And you have that great example of tough love at your house with the poker playing kids, which exactly got to tell people how that works. I will tell them that. Before we get to that, the part of that is like, the research says that your happiness, your current contentment is related more to the amount of accountability you're taking than your circumstances. But as leaders, when people come to us and they're hurting, we work to buffer them from their circumstances, which is never going to be able to be done. And even if we did, we'd give them maybe 10% more happiness. But if we grow their accountability, it gives them like 40% more happiness. So it's so important as people come back, there's, there's five things leaders really need to be doing. One, you do need to tend to people's basics and safety. So at the beginning of the world health crisis, we need to tend to people's basics and safety. Do you have food and shelter? Do you have enough laptops for your kids now that you're homeschooling? Do you have a printer? You know, as an employer, I did a lot of that. Like, what can we get you? Can we get you a grocery service? There were hospitals that were giving nurses private rides so they could feel like they wouldn't be infected on the way 
to work, right? Basics and safety, even to and up to and including, are you safe at home? Like for a lot of women, like the work is a, is a relief. The minute though that we get that basic out of the way, I've got to call you to greatness. It's been three weeks. You're still struggling with setting boundaries with your partner so that they can share childcare. What's your plan on getting that to be an issue of the past? What's your plan to make that happen? Then you need to connect people so that they know they aren't alone and they're self-sufficient in getting their own needs met. And the way to connect people is through meaningful work. And then we all have to prioritize and get stuff done in the new reality. We can't just stop at muscling through and getting things done. We need to radically simplify, recondo our lives. And we need to radically simplify to what the basics are and then question everything we're about to add back in. Because unquestioned, we will end up just either going back to or recreating the life a lot of us were frustrated with. And this is so important because many of us feel like a victim of current standards from work, current arrangements, but we're the ones, right? Right now, if we step into the power we already have, empowerment, we're the ones that get to decide what comes back in. So a year from now, you can't be quite so victim-minded because you can't complain about what you created. And we've all really got to curate that system um, going forward. But wow, Love I it. want to make sure and put that out there for leaders to understand that if somebody still is having a ton of anxiety, I just say, we don't accommodate fear here, but I will teach you good mental processes for you to manage your own anxiety so that you can walk through this new world skillfully. And that's what we tend to do as leaders. We lower the standard. We need to keep the standards high and up the support. Love that. Okay. One last, one last story. You got to tell us the poker I story. Tell the story. Yeah. So one of the things I'm asked a lot, I have four children and I have four stepsons and one of the things that actually ticks me off as a woman is I'm out there and people are like, how do you do it with all these kids? How do you work and travel when you have all these kids? And A, my husband's never been asked that question ever. But um, I often joke and I just say, you know, just like in business, we want to scale, we standardize. So I have a lot of standardized processes. We use data. So we found out that through our observations that when our boys hit about the age of 13, the odds of their getting grounded went up. It was just a trend. <laughs> yep, just works out that way. Just a trend. So we like to work with our trends and um, be a little preemptive. So we started to, when boys turn 13, we teach them how to play poker. Now, what a weird thing to teach a kid to gamble. Here's our reasoning. When you're grounded in our house, you don't get to just slink off to the basement and play Fortnite. If you're grounded, it is an indication that you need to spend more time with your mama. Like my <laughs> values just haven't rubbed off on you yet. And on Friday nights, mama loves to play poker. So on Friday nights, I play poker with the groundeds and it makes kids easy to ground. Like, <laughs> I think you did something wrong. I'm getting on the side of grounding you. We need a fourth player, right? <laughs> So when we first implemented this poker playing, I found no one was motivated because they, they didn't have any skin in the game. So I had to improve the system. We put their next week's allowance as the um, kitty that they're betting, right? So it's like double jeopardy. <laughs> right. So I teach Charles to play poker and it was slow going. Charles didn't seem to be my most talented card kid. He finally gets grounded. 
we're sitting down and I deal the cards and I go, this time it's not practice. It's for real, Charles. Place your bets. And he's betting next week's allowance. And he panics and he goes, mom, mom, I don't want to lose my allowance. I want to lose. Show me your cards first. And I'm like, Charles, uh, nope, we're not, uh, that's not how poker is played. Like you're not betting on knowing my cards. You're betting on you and your skill and your resiliency and your risk tolerance and, and your card playing place your bets. And he kept going back. Like, can you just show me, can I just draw one of your cards to see like what card you have? It just dawned on me what he was illustrating perfectly was this human behavior that we actually sit back and we almost try and make our buy-in conditional, like I'm all in as long as there are only two changes a week and as long as people don't roll things out and then reel them back and as long as we have enough staffing and enough, basically as long as reality is certain or perfect, I'm all in. And the reality is, is that buy-in is a verb. I need to commit and go all in and then stay in, that's resilience out of my choice, knowing one thing for sure, reality won't be perfect. And that's this step that a lot of us, you know, we saw things starting to fall apart. A lot of us were like, oh, well, contract's broken. They didn't meet their side of the bargain. I'm out. And that's just not a way to play life. It's just, it's disengaged. And so I'm talking to a lot of people about how do you continue to choose to buy in and be willing to do what it takes to create the results that we need. Did he get better? You know, he has gotten better. People are like, did he win? I'm like, no, he did not. (laughs) But he has gotten better at playing poker. And I might have started too high of tolerance for gambling in our family because people love playing poker. But I think all of us have to decide right now on a regular basis, are we in or are we out? Because so many people are thinking about, like, there's a third option. Like, I can just instead of going all in or saying I'm out, I can stay in the middle. I can be like, maybe. And my role then is like, I'm just going to, you know, vent or I'm just going to complain about it. I'm going to collude with other people. And for me, I'm really looking for people who have the skill set and the ability to go all in Mm -hmm. and see where this wild ride takes us. Last question. What is your superpower and how do you own it? Wow. I think my superpower is translation. I can take a lot of universal principles that seem woo-woo out there or new age, or you'd have to go to the self-help aisle to get those and bring those right front and center and help people kind of know what their human condition is. And so how do I own it? When I get that feeling of intuition, I need to step up and speak it and really give it a voice in spite of the fact that sometimes I'm telling a CEO something pretty woo-woo and I just have to bring that um, side into the puzzle. I knew pretty early on that suffering is completely optional. We waste way too much time in drama. Life could be easier, it could be simpler, it could be more effortless. And, uh, and that's, that's how I own it. I dare to live it, I dare to share it, and I truly live it. I'm open to what's next. Cy Wakeman, thank you so much. We are all benefiting from your mere wisdom and experience. And it sounds like that just continues. It just gets, it just gets richer and richer. I can't wait to hear more about the new book. It's exciting. We've got great things to come. Looking really forward to it. Thank you so much, Sai. You bet. Be well. You too. 
suffering is optional. I think about all the things, especially in this time of COVID, that I could have once considered, quote, suffering. Well, we now know it's not, and Sai certainly reinforces that mindset for us. What have you been suffering that Sai would tell you is optional? How do you own it and be better next time? If you love Sai just as much as I love Sai, don't miss her keynote and workshop coming up at the 2020 Dubuque Women Lead Change Conference on October 8th. It's all virtual. Registration's open now. Go to wlcglobal.org. If you like today's conversation, please subscribe and tell your friends, colleagues to do the same. We would certainly appreciate it. And if you're looking for some tactical work to support your ambition, check out all that Women Lead Change has cooking in the next few months. Some of the highlights, there's an Ann Bonnie workshop. It's a virtual all-access workshop on July 23rd. The Women of Achievement nominations are open. This, of course, is this statewide award that recognizes incredible contributions of historical Iowa women who've made outstanding and lasting contributions to the citizens of Iowa or have advanced the well-being of others throughout the world. The Ascent Leadership Program, the next cohort in July, at the end of July, still some seats available for that. That's again for our mid-level high potential, those pipeline folks, Ascent Leadership Program. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn to keep up with all that we're doing. And please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. 